You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic, Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Please keep your Bibles open, or if you do have the welcome card open, you'll see the passage there as well as an outline, which Tim has just updated on the fly, so you might even even refresh uh, your phone or your iPad. Um, My name's Adam, I'm one of the pastors here, we're going to be thinking about John chapter 5 today. Let's pray and ask that God would speak to us through his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this sign of Jesus, this miracle, and we pray that you'd help us to understand what it points to and what it teaches us about Jesus. Amen. What would fix your life? I think we all have that one thing that we tend to focus on and we say to ourselves, if I could just sort that out, then everything else in my life will go smoothly. Maybe you're looking for a job part-time, full-time, changing to a new job, and you think, if I could just get that job, then I'll have the money and security and contentment that I'm looking for. Maybe you're looking to move house. Maybe that's what you think will fix your life. Uh, Tracy and I spent three years looking for a new rental, one that had a better layout for our family and with a separate study for me, and we finally found that place and moved in not that long ago. Now, maybe you're in a similar situation. You think, yeah, if I could just find a new place to live, then everything would be fixed. You just need to move away from your parents, get some new housemates, or move closer to work or uni or into a safer neighbourhood. Maybe you're looking for a new relationship, a friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, a fellow bike enthusiast or gamer or op-shopping companion. You're sick of the loneliness and you figure if you could just meet the right person, then you'll have the confidence and support that you need to progress in life. The list goes on. Improved health, finishing your studies so you can finally get your degree, 
that draining person to just get out of your life, a better spiritual routine, people who will just accept you for who you are, or for there to be no more COVID. Usually there's one thing we feel we need to unlock our best life. And so we pin our hopes on it and we plan out the steps we need to do to get that. And we can spend our whole life in a frustrated pursuit that tends to end in failure. Or we get that one thing that we were longing for and it doesn't fix our life. And it just disappoints. Tracy and I have moved into our new house, but it's been a lot of work dealing with cockroaches and junk left behind by the previous occupants. They left behind five beds, mattresses, bed frames, everything. Still trying to get rid of them. The oven was a disaster. There was actually a water pipe missing under the house. So whenever we used the kitchen sink, it just dumped water on the ground under the house. It's been a lot of work. And we haven't yet enjoyed the rest and comfort that we were hoping for in this new place. Have you ever had that experience? You finally got the thing that you wanted and it didn't fix your life. Not that Tracy and I had all of our hopes pinned on a house, but it's just an illustration. We shouldn't be surprised that no job is perfect, that no housemate is perfect, no relationship is perfect. And so this might lead us to just give up and settle for a miserable life. But that's not the answer. The answer is identifying the real problem. We need to know the greatest barrier to receiving the greatest life. And to help us understand that, we're going to look at John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. In this true story from the Bible, we're going to meet a man who thought his biggest problem was that he couldn't walk his poor health, and he thought if he could just sort that out, then his life would be fixed. But after Jesus healed him, it became apparent that he had a bigger problem and it required a bigger solution. So let's get stuck into John chapter 5, where we read of a real healing in a real place. Let's have a look at verses 1 to 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. This is our guy, a desperate man by the pool of Bethesda. Now, we don't know exactly what his problem was, but it was obviously something to do with his legs because he couldn't walk. That's why I'm going to refer to him as the lame man. He'd been in that state for 38 years. He spent his days laying beside the pool of Bethesda because it was thought to bring healing. John actually describes it with a few key details, which has enabled people to actually locate it in Jerusalem. In modern-day Jerusalem, just north of the Temple of the Temple Mount, you'll find St Anne's Church. It was built about a thousand years after Jesus. But in 1888, some guys were doing repairs, and underneath some bedrock, they actually found an old large pool. As they dug down, they found all these layers that went back to the time of Jesus. 
I've actually got some pictures. Hopefully, it'll come up okay. Try again. There we go. And so the, the bedrock had been cut away and plastered in so that it could hold water. So it dates to the right time. It's also in the right location. It's near the Sheep Gate, which today is known as St Stephen's Gate. Also, they discovered that the pool is a twin pool with a dividing wall down the middle. I'm going to show you a model of Jerusalem from the first, uh, a model of first century Jerusalem, and you can see how an artist has depicted this. And so there were colonnades, which are covered walkways, and John says there were five, which seems a bit weird. Why would you have five? Well, if you've actually got a dividing wall down the middle, it makes sense. Four around each side and then one down the middle. So why do I share all these details with you? It's not just because I looked them up in an archaeology book and I was excited. It's because you can actually trust John as an accurate recorder of history. This was a real place that Jesus really visited. Now, of course, that doesn't automatically mean that the miracle really occurred, does it? But it gives us confidence that we can read this and make up our own mind. We don't have to think that John just made the whole thing up. So back at the pool, uh, we've got the five colonnades and that's where the sick would have gathered. The blind, the lame, the paralysed, they're waiting there since the pool was known to have healing properties. In fact, inscriptions have since been found at the site to support this. Also, it seems that some later scribes who are making copies of John's Gospel, they seem to have inserted some extra words into the text of John's book to explain this common view. You'll see in your Bible there should be a footnote for verse 4, or you'll see it in the welcome card, and we read this. And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. So this could explain the lame man's dilemma. It seems to link to verse 7. He has, no time, he has no one to help him down into the waters when the angel came and stirred up the waters to offer healing. However, this explanation seems to be added into John's text later, particularly because it doesn't really fit with John's style where he's usually describing events in fairly unspectacular ways. Now, that might be a bit disturbing for some of you, to think that verse 4 has literally been marginalised in our Bibles. However, you need to remember that the verse and chapter numbers were added centuries after John wrote. Also, at that time it was common when people were making copies, they might add little kind of notes in the margin just to help people who are reading it. And sometimes those comments in the margin might make their way into the main text. And so after a kind of number of copies... The numbers were added in, and then it looks like it was part of the original, but we're pretty confident it wasn't. If you've got questions about this, please come and talk to me later. I'm not going to bore everyone with all the details now, but there's some exciting stuff to talk about. But let's move on with our passage. Uh, whether there are angels involved or not, this lame man has a desperate need for healing, and he thinks that the pool holds the answer. But Jesus challenges this, by giving him a healing that reveals his even greater need. In verse 6, 
Jesus asks the man if he wants to be healed. And rather than a simple yes, the man grumbles. Have a look at verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else gets down ahead of me. Having been sick for 38 years, he's probably used to disappointment. He was probably often discouraged. While he looks to the pool with hope, the waters ultimately frustrate him rather than liberate him. So Jesus decides to help the man. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the man is cured and he can get up and start walking around. Now this would be a nice, neat miracle if that's where it ended. But John goes on to point out the bigger setting. The second part of verse 9 tells us that this event took place on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest. Uh Uh-oh. Look at what the Jews say to this man in verse 10. It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Well, he replies that he's just been miraculously healed and the guy who did this miraculous healing told him to pick up his mat. Now, let's just pause here for a moment and think about this. Do you notice what the Jewish leaders don't say? They don't say, brother, have you really been healed? That's amazing. Praise the Lord. Let's celebrate with you. No, they say, I don't care if you've been healed. You can't carry your mat on the Sabbath. So they're not really listening, are they? They're they're so focused on their rules and they want this man to identify who it was who told him to break the law. Well, as the events unfold, we read in verse 13 that the man can't answer them because he doesn't actually know who Jesus was. But then look at what happens in verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I think this is one of the key verses of this chapter. We're going to expand on it later, but I want you to see now that Jesus is saying that this man has a greater need. Now we can spend ages debating about whether the man's condition was caused by sin or not. We can debate about whether he had real faith or not at this time. But what is absolutely clear is that this man thought his greatest need was healing, but it wasn't. He thought that if he could walk again, his life would be fixed. No more worries, just a full life of walking from one amazing event to another. Well, Jesus points out that this man has a greater need, a greater problem. He needs to be healed of his sinfulness because there is something worse than being lame. The flip side of this is that there is a better life than simply being healed. And it's the fact that this miracle occurred on the Sabbath which explains the meaning of Jesus' warning and also the meaning of this miraculous sign. As we unpack this, I pray that you'll realise that we are all in this man's position. You see, we get confused about what the answer is to our problems, how to fix our life. So we need to see that there is a better life that we can have and a bigger problem we need help with. 
The healing of the lame man is the third sign in John's Gospel. Now, it's not identified as a sign in this chapter, but in John 6, verse 2, we read this. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Clearly, this healing would be one of them, and John has chosen to explain this one, of all of the healings Jesus did in Jerusalem, because it fits John's purpose. Remember John chapter 20? He's recorded these miraculous signs so that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we will have life in his name. Well, this miracle certainly shows that Jesus is someone that's pretty special. It's a sign of Jesus' power that he can give life to weak bodies. Other people have been blessed with healing powers from God, but the miracle that Jesus does is quite extraordinary. This guy had been lame for 38 years. Now, we don't know what his exact condition was, but if he hadn't been using his legs for almost four decades, they'd be pretty much useless. His muscles would have wasted away. He would have lacked strength and stability. When Jesus healed this man, he didn't just reverse the sickness, he reversed the ravages of time and the deterioration of his legs. Do you know, this man didn't need any physiotherapy to get back on his feet. For all of you health professionals who work in rehab, you'll get that that's a big deal, isn't it? But if all we see is the power of Jesus, then we don't really learn much more about him. Just like the miraculous sign at Cana where Jesus turned water into wine, the emphasis is not on the miraculous. After all, do you see how plainly this miracle is described? Jesus just tells the man to get up and he does. That's it. He doesn't seem to touch the man or say a prayer or do anything special. He just says, on your feet, man, and the miracle's done. Jesus' words come with power and authority. He can just speak and bring about the outcome that he intends. Now, I have the authority to say to my kids, clean up your room but I don't have the power to guarantee that outcome. I wish I did. But Jesus does, because his speaking is his doing. He can reshape reality, even overcome the laws of nature to enact his will. And so if we want our lives fixed, here is the man to do it. But this story also shows us that there is a better life than we can imagine. A better life than just having this one fixed. Because after all, there were plenty of sick people on that day who didn't get healed. So we meant to look deeper and see that this miracle is a sign. It's a sign of the life that Jesus offers us, the eternal life of Sabbath rest. Now, I'm convinced that John has shared this particular miracle with us because of the day it occurred on. It sets the framework for understanding what has happened. It shows us that Jesus brings the fulfilment of Sabbath rest. On one level, the Sabbath was a loving command from God that gave his people a day off 
One day of rest every week. Didn't have to work. It removed the pressure to work, work, work. But it had a greater purpose. It was also a day where they could particularly focus on God, on the Lord. It was a time to rest from physical work and to reflect on spiritual realities. It's a time for worship of God, fellowship with other people, for enjoying God's good gifts. In fact, the Sabbath was meant to be a weekly glimpse of heaven. It was a picture of the peace and rest to come for God's people when he renews the earth. And so the restored body of the man was a preview of the perfect body that he would one day receive. And so he no longer had to sit around waiting to be healed. He could go on with enjoying that life and it was a preview of the day when God would take care of all his needs. These are all the things that the Sabbath points to. And so it was the perfect day for Jesus to heal this man. In fact, if you've got a Bible open, please flip over to chapter 7 of John's Gospel. Or I'm going to pop it up on the screen. You can see it up there. We can see that Jesus, later on, he defends his actions, what he did on this day back in chapter 5. This is John 7, verses 21 to 24. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually did not come from Moses but from the patriarchs, you circumcised a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So Jewish boys had to be circumcised on the eighth day after they were born, even if it was a Sabbath, because circumcision was the sign of the covenant, a sign of belonging to God's people, and so the Sabbath would have been meaningless apart from a relationship with God. So to put Sabbath-keeping above the covenant sign would have been inconsistent. Well, Jesus argues that the whole point of the Sabbath is wholeness, is life for his people. Obedience to the covenant laws would lead to life and blessing. And so to put Sabbath-keeping over healing someone, which was the goal of the covenant, would be inconsistent. The Jews were angry that a healed man would dare to carry his mat on the day of rest, which showed they were more interested in the law than they were in the future life that the law pointed to. Uh, Jesus explains what this life is like in the second part of chapter 5. Now, Aaron is going to preach this passage to us next week, so I'm not going to go into all the details now. But I want you to have a look at verses 24 and 25, if you've got a Bible handy. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Jesus is talking about eternal, everlasting life. This is life that conquers death. 
that quenches our deepest thirst, that satisfies our deepest longings. It's a life of wholeness and rest and contentment and joy. But it's only for the forgiven. That's the point of verse 14. Like I said, it's, it's the key verse for this chapter. Jesus has given this man a sign or a, a preview of what he can enjoy if he is in relationship with God. But there's a barrier to that relationship. There's a barrier to receiving that life and that wholeness and that rest and that peace. And can you see what the barrier is? It's sin. Jesus says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, when I first read that, I thought maybe Jesus was making a threat to this guy. It's like he's worried that the guy's going to dob him into the Jewish leaders and Jesus saying, hey, you thought having broken legs was bad. Well, I can do worse than that, buddy, so cut it out. But it's not a threat. This is a loving warning to the man's at the temple. That's the place where the Jews went to draw near to God to offer sacrifices, to receive forgiveness from God, to, to be united to him. And Jesus is telling this man that simply being able to walk to the temple is not enough. That won't get you eternal life. You don't just show up to the temple. This man needs a way to stand on the day of judgment. Sure, he can walk now, but if he's raised up on the last day, still a sinner who's not been forgiven, if he faces the judgment throne of God, he will not stand. He will not walk into heaven. He will be condemned for every bad deed and every bad thought. Sin is a sickness of the human heart, and every human has it. Sin is what cripples our lives ruins our relationships, it distances us from God, it brings judgment upon our head. It's terrible. Like all people, the lame man needs forgiveness. And this forgiveness is found in Jesus. He is the one who gives life and it's received by coming to him in faith and listening to his word. And so that brings us to the application of our passage today. We receive this eternal life, this eternal life of Sabbath rest, by believing the word of Jesus. Let me read out verse 24 again. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus says, the scriptures testify about him and call us to come to him for life. John wants us to listen to the words of Jesus and believe him so that we might know true life. So I've got two questions that I want to ask you in response to this. First of all, do you look to the greatest life that you can receive? Let me say that again. Do you look to the greatest life that you can receive. As I said at the start, we often want to change that one thing about ourselves or our circumstances that we think will fix our life so that we can have the great life that we want. But this is to aim too low. See, the lame man was healed, but there was a deeper sickness, a spiritual one. 
You know, I wonder if my son Toby had been born in those days, if he would have been one of the disabled people laying by the pool of Bethesda. Toby was born with spina bifida, which means that as he grew inside of Tracy, his back didn't close up properly, and that left a bit of a hole there. It caused nerve damage that's impacted on him in various ways. And one of the ways is he doesn't have full use of his legs. Now, he had surgery on the day after he was born to close the hole in his back. And that was a healing of sorts. What a blessing. Praise God for that. But it didn't reverse the damage. So Toby has had countless hours of physiotherapy. We used to do little feet stretches with him. He wore braces for a while. And he even used a walking frame, as you can see in the picture there. Now, he's generally doing okay, but it's not perfect. And just in the last few weeks, he's been finding himself getting tired as we walk to school. He's been kind of doing okay over summer. Getting back to school, it's been a bit hard for him. So I've gone back to pushing him in his wheelchair to get to school in the morning. He's aware of his limitations. He knows that he's different. If Toby had been one of those people laying by the pool of Bethesda, what would you want for him? What would you think his biggest problem is and his greatest need is? What would fix his life? To have his legs healed or his heart healed? Do you want him to walk and run in this life or to walk with God and soar in the next life? Do you want him to receive a good life now or the greatest life? I pray regularly that God would heal my little boy, give him good use of his legs. It's in my prayer list every week. Yet if that's not God's will, then I just want him to have a strong faith in Jesus. I want him to know that he is forgiven and that he has the hope of heaven. In fact, we talked about this last night. I told him that we were going to talk about this today in the sermon. It was a great conversation to talk about what is his greatest need and we prayed together. It's hard to pray that because I want him to be healed. I want him to enjoy this life. I don't want him to stand out. I don't want him to have struggles. But I know that there's a greater life that he can receive. Do you believe that too? Do you believe that for yourself? Do you look at the struggles in your life, the the sickness, the strained relationships, the tough times? Do you look at those and say, Jesus, I do want my life to be fixed. I want a better life than this. But more than that, I want the greatest life. I want eternal life that you offer. I want the peace and rest and joy and contentment that you offer. Because if you do, if you have that perspective, it will help you in two ways. One, it will stop you from running after other things and being too busy for Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're still sorting out the whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're not a Christian or you're not quite sure. And you might think that Jesus sounds all right, but you're not sure that you've really got the time to sort through whether you believe in him or not. There's just so many other things going on in your life. Well, let me tell you that There is nothing more important than listening to Jesus. Whatever efforts you put into improving your life, 
to get ahead, they're worthless if you don't come to Jesus first. You see, you need to set your sights higher. You want a good life? That's amazing. Go for the best life, though. Look to Jesus. And the second way having a right perspective on life helps you is it means you can cope better with the realities of this life. The disappointments, the discouragements, the difficulties. You see, we we can't help but try and make our lives better. And in one sense, that's okay. I'm not saying you shouldn't exercise and eat well and try to have good relationships. You do those things. But when those things go wrong, you won't be crushed if you know that there's a greater life that you're looking forward to. If you want to think some more about this, if you've got any questions, I'd love to chat to you after service. So my first question is about do you look to the greatest life? My second question is this. Do you look to healing pools or to Jesus for that life? You see, we can be so focused on securing eternal life that we ignore Jesus. We're too busy lining up for the healing pool. Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to give you that life you want. You go, no, but Jesus, I just need to get into the pool and then I'll be okay. See, these disabled people, they believed that the power of God was in the waters and Jesus says, no, the power of God is in him. You go to him. We don't secure eternal life by doing good deeds, coming to church, saying special prayers, going to sacred sites, having a Christian spouse or Christian parents, giving money to the church, being religious, having lots of Bible knowledge. If we rely on these, we will be like the helpless man by the pool who looks to those things with hope, but in the end they just frustrate rather than liberate. We secure eternal life by coming to Jesus. We hear his words and we believe him. This means his words come first in our life. And we accept that our greatest problem is sin, not any of our life circumstances. This means that we accept that the way to eternal life, the way to escape judgment is to believe in Jesus so we repent of our sin, we turn away from it, we entrust our lives to Jesus, we have faith in him and we accept that he will forgive us. He will set us free from the burdens of trying to secure our best life now through our efforts. So what's your greatest need? What's the thing that will fix your life? What's forgiveness? So that you can receive eternal life, the greatest life of all be with God. And where do we go to get that forgiveness and that life? Jesus Christ alone, the Messiah, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful life that you offer us in Jesus. Please help us to come to him, to not look anywhere else, and to set our sights on the greatest life we can have if we just trust in him. Amen.